Hey everyone, what's up and welcome back to the Artist Coaching Podcast with me, Joey Suki. I hope you are doing really well. Uh, you're getting ready to tune into this episode with Dan Carter. You might know his name from a previous episode that I've recorded with him about a year ago. And in that episode, he told us a lot of things about marketing, promotion and branding. And that's what Dan is all about. He has worked with the biggest DJs out there. So he is the guy that you can learn from. Sit back, relax, enjoy this episode and I'll see you next time. Bye. So what's up, Dan? It's been over a year. What's up? It has been over a year. And uh, yeah, and I think you can see that just from I was looking at the screenshot of the last interview and i definitely didn't have any tattoos so i didn't uh i was a little bit bigger in the face to say the least so hey amazing what can happen in a year right how are you i'm doing really well man really well yeah looking well thanks man you too is that is that your apartment or is it your office no it's my office it's like a studio slash office i i tend to use it more as an office since i don't make music anymore but yeah uh, there is like a, a studio environment where i'm where i'm looking at right now so you can't see it uh, yeah, but officially it's a studio. It's an old piggery, actually. Okay, love that. that yeah. That's that good dynamic Dutch use of space. Love exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a, a, a farmer who he sold his animals, so he decided to remodel all the the parts that he had. And uh, right. Fire, Fire Beat is here, located here as well. Okay, they, they've been here for like several years, and uh, they tipped me the location, so that's why I'm here. Nice. Yeah. So, like you mentioned, uh, I think earlier before we started recording the call, like I've been, of course, I've been following you on social media for the last couple of months, and um, even we didn't spoke that much, I still had an idea of what you were up to, and you've been insane on the mindset game lately, man. Like, the, like the boxing and the, the the weight losing and healthy food as well. Yeah, I mean, I I started this journey just a little bit before you and I did our interview, and I think mm-hmm. I was a lot less vocal about it mm-hmm. last year, just because I, you know, I I've always been of the mind that you shouldn't start talking about things like you're an expert until you've actually mastered them, or you know, you've actually got through the process. And and I was going through a real transitional phase, and you know, I was coming out the end of. Uh, a severe burnout that mm-hmm. you know left me hospitalized and that could have oh, really shit. seriously damaged uh, damaged my brain uh, back in uh, oh that would have been March of 2018 I collapsed in the bathroom and uh, split my face open on my door frame caught the back of my head on a sink mm-hmm. uh, I regained consciousness covered in blood my girlfriend at the time was there you know panicking because all she'd heard was a big thud wow. and that and, was because yeah. of the like the workload or it was a mixture of things to be like, you know, now when I look back on it, my, my lifestyle habits were pretty atrocious. I was, uh, I was still a, quite a heavy drinker back then. Uh, I wasn't sleeping very well. I was eating poorly, um, high stress job. I was, let's see, I'd have been about a year and a half, two years into, uh, the company or running above board entertainment group at that point. And that had been a very, you know, a very fulfilling period, but also a very stressful one and quite chaotic. You know, it was the first time I'd owned a company, let alone run a company. And yeah. as you'll probably know by now, there is a huge difference between working for someone and working for yourself and then like trying to scale said company whilst also doing a job. And yeah. so, you know, I think it was really a culmination of 
those things that just hit me. And I, you know, I went to the hospital with it. I was in the hospital for about a day and had seven stitches in my eye and they took all sorts of tests, you know, ECG tests, scanned my head, took everything. And they're like, the frustrating thing was on paper. Mm-hmm. There was nothing wrong with me. Yeah, like physically, there was nothing wrong. There, there was nothing wrong with me except yeah. that I was overweight and I was clearly stressed and my heart rate was up a little bit. Hmm. I would argue probably because I just twatted my face on a wall, you know, <laughs> and that, that, that'll do it. But no, so that for me was a huge wake-up call. Yeah. Um, you know, that was me at 28 years old having that kind of uh, impact Mm. on my life and something that, you know, just shouldn't be happening to anyone really, let alone somebody at my age. So it was a big wake up call. And I was actually due in Los Angeles the week after that. I, uh, and I, I went to, I was supposed to be in Miami with uh, Steve Aoki and the Dim Mac gang. I had to cancel last minute, mm-hmm. which was really, really frustrating. I was sat at home with my stitches in my face. Everyone was getting their selfies with Shaq. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I want, I want to be in Miami hanging with Shaq. Yeah. Fuck's sake, but you know, that time. So and then I went out to Los Angeles and I was, you know, I had a lot of meetings, was a lot of stuff coming to the table. And I was just starting to think, right, it's time to really start making a change here. Mm. Start, uh, you know, working out how to make this a bit more sustainable. And that was a process that started then and is kind of still ongoing, but I feel like I found a, a happy medium. Sadly, before that happy medium was, um, was starting to take shape. Uh, myself and, um, all of my peers and friends around me, we lost, uh, a very important person in, in the form of, uh, of Tim Bergling, mm-hmm. um, which happened about three weeks after I got back from Los Angeles. And to be honest, at the time, just completely dis- destroyed me in the sense that I didn't even know if I wanted to continue working in music anymore. Yeah, and that's something that's a pain that I know I definitely wasn't alone in feeling mm-hmm. and I, I made a very very active decision not to talk in the media about it or in this sort of format about it at the time because it wasn't my place to mm-hmm. you know what I mean I was I was grieving no more or less than so many of my colleagues and yeah. the other friends and such but then at the have same been, time the only people have you been working have, with him With with Tim, I yeah. was uh, head of publicity and marketing for Ant Night Management for three years. Wow! Which okay. is why I moved to Stockholm, mm. and uh, I, yeah, Tim was very important to my career. Yeah, and At Night was very important to my career, and it was a uh, it was a huge loss. But and, and also, you know, Tim himself, he was an amazing guy, and yeah. uh, I, you know, it's really not my place to discuss anything to do with his personal life or those circumstances or things like that, I think. And that was also part of the reason why other than I think a, a Facebook post to the, you know, my closest friendship group in the you know, industry, I, I kind of kept stump on it because mm. I, I was a real mix of very sad and very angry and disappointed with the way that the industry responded to it at large. And I saw a lot of examples of people coming out of the woodwork who really hadn't been there at all or, you know, certainly not when that project or the people around it, you know, needed it the most. Yeah. And so they're coming to get their five minutes of fame. Mm. And 
and that disgusted me. And I was, you know, to this day, there are people who know, know very well that, that that's how I feel about that. But, you know, it was, it was a very disappointing time. And so my, the best thing I felt I could do was to be there for the people that mattered the most. And that was his, his, his closest friends and the people I worked with at night. And, uh, and that was that. Yeah. Of course, that definitely has added a, a layer of, of, of something to this process that like, I'm going through. And I'm, I'm not going to stand here. Yeah. And I'll be honest, this is the first time I've spoken about this in this kind of forum. So I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to do it here because I think your platform is exactly the kind of place where productive discussions can be had yeah, about you. personal things. But I'm not here to perpetuate anything else on that subject because, quite frankly, it's not my place to. Hmm. But to say that losing Tim has been a huge part of this process, I mean, that, yeah, that's an understatement, quite frankly. I think like, and, uh, if, you, if you have a look at the whole industry, like it was a, a maybe it was, to you as well, it was a wake-up call in some kind of way. Um, I think it was a wake-up call that hasn't been taken particularly seriously hmm. since that initial month of headlines. And I, I've been very open about my personal struggles with mental health. And I think the reason I do that is because I think that desensitizing mental health problems and just creating open, honest discussion about these things is the best possible way that we can start sort of tapping deeper into, you know, how they affect so many people at large. I mean, honest to God, even outside of the music industry, mm -hmm. I would say that three out of four of my friendship group or peers or people that I operate with on a daily basis have been formally diagnosed with some form of mental health problem. Yeah. And that's, that's everyone. That's people, that's, that's millionaires. That's people with nine to five jobs. That's people with families and who are, you know, on the shell of things you would not expect, but this is what we need to appreciate. I think on a wider scale, there is no face of mental health problems. So many of them are fought completely behind the scenes And that's the problem. And that's, I don't look to blame people when it comes to mental health problems. I, I've never had that idea of, oh, we need to work out who to blame for these problems. Or we need to work out who's caused this in this person or that person. That's not it. It's yeah. more about how you help people to work through them and to find the way in which they can restore their lives and their livelihoods. Mm-hmm deal with it because it's we need to get away from this idea that to deal with mental health problems makes you broken mm -hmm. but we also need to stop um i don't know i'm trying to think of a way to put this without it sounding harsh but there is also I, so when gary v started getting big i used to refer to the, what he did as entrepreneur porn and like hustle porn because mm -hmm. i felt like they were over glorifying something That actually, you know, I didn't think that we should be glorifying kids staying up until four in the morning, yeah. hustling, 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 working, working. Because quite frankly, that's what put me in fucking the hospital. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, you know, so, work, um, working hard is not bad, but you should know your, you should have the balance correctly, right? You uh, should work smart. You should work yeah, exactly. smart. You should work, you should work, you should sleep, you should eat well, you should take yeah. rest, like work hard, rest hard. Um, no, exactly. And so I, and at the same time, I think mental health 
needs to be dealt with openly, but not romantically. You know, we don't we don't need to turn it into like a, a Starbucks style quick fix kind of uh, no. solution. Yeah, but, but you know what I mean? I'm yeah, really yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, to me, it's like um, I see it more as like a maintenance program. You know, it's not like you talk once and it's done. It's something that will keep coming at you for the rest of your life because you're a human being and you will yeah. keep having struggles along the way. Uh, it's just that those struggles will change. Like right now, the biggest problem in my life might be um, having too too less t- time. Yeah. And 10 years from now, the biggest problem could be that my mom is dying or my father is dying. You know, like different challenges will come on your path. Mental health is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week yeah. issue. Yeah. And it's great that we have things like Mental Health Awareness Day, which I think happened a few weeks ago. Yeah. That's great. I'm not saying we should get rid of that at all. I'm saying the ideas that everyone was so eloquently discussing then yeah. need to be repeated every fucking day. Yeah. Every day without fail. And if it takes people like me to just tell our experiences and our stories as it is and show, hey, you can have a company, you can be successful, you can work with all these A-list artists and athletes and whatever, yeah. and be you know in the best health of your life and still be dealing with these things behind the scenes, yeah. I that's what we need. We need to normalize the vulnerability to make it a normal discussion where you can just pick up the phone and say, Hey Dan, how are you feeling? And I say, well, you know what, Joey, my anxiety is really, really, you know, hitting me at the moment. I'm, mm. uh, I'm trying to work out what's triggering it. And this, that, that's how the conversation should be. Yeah. And going back to it, we've gone on a little bit of a tangent, but you'd have thought that that would have been a wake up call mm-hmm. in terms of loss that we experienced. Mm-hmm. But then you look at people's touring schedules and the habits and the way that I still see people within the industry at the desks, not even behind the decks, like mm. at their desks, we are still overworking people. Yeah. We are stressing them beyond belief, making work clients impossible. We're perpetuating all these stereotypes about the type of lifestyle that people who work in entertainment or the music industry should have. And, and that's where, it's still very fucked up and I still think we have a long way to go and I don't want to sound like a negative. No, no, but you have a point. But it's, you know, it's, this is the thing we need to, we need to be realistic and we need to look at that. I still go out to Los Angeles for work or for whatever reason and meet people and talk to them. And it shocks me just how much these people are expected to give Mm. just almost for the privilege of working in music. And, and don't get me wrong. The fact that I've been afforded this luxury of working in this industry for a decade now, I am beyond privileged because I love what I do and I have loved what I do for probably 85% of the time. But And not everyone can say that. But it doesn't mean I owe the music industry my well-being. I'm, you know, I'm not going to give the music industry my well-being or my health. No one, no one should be able to take that, right? Yeah. So. We've made a few positive steps. I see conversation happening more. Yeah. I see public engagement happening more. I see charities trying to drive awareness. I I commend what the Tim Bergman Foundation mm-hmm. are trying to do with the um, tribute concert mm-hmm. and raising awareness for a problem that needs to continue to be discussed. So, have you been at to that extent? We're making it. 
No, I actually I sat Amsterdam dance event out this okay. year because there were a <laughs> lot of uh, a lot. yeah there were a lot of mental health panels and like in the last couple of years you see you saw the the amount of mental health panels growing, uh, but especially this year like. There were a lot of those things. And aside from that, you noticed that when you were talking to someone, mental health was kind of the number one thing everybody was talking about. So I, I can totally agree with you as in, um, of course, there have there have been some big, bigger artists in the last couple of months who decided to say like, hey, I'm going to take a step back or uh, I'm going to change things up, like Hartwell, for instance. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, the people at the desks, like... They, there's, that's a place where where things needs needs to change as well. Um, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and and I like to think, and I'm hearing things from various companies in in Europe certainly where those appreciations are being taken a little yeah. bit more seriously. America, I'm I'm not going to comment on a, a country that I'm barely in, all right. But from what I've seen and what I've experienced, they have a long way to go, and. Yeah. I'm going to say this on the record, just because it's been that way for a decade, two decades, five years, however long, doesn't mean it's fucking acceptable anymore. And I yeah. think a lot of executives, a lot of people, the Scooter Brawns of this world, the Moshe Zillies of this world, the people who actually have the platform and the power to make the change, they they need to be the ones that are fucking gearing this. And by the way, that's not me saying the Scooter Braun and Moshe Zilli are the people <laughs> treating their staff wrong. Yeah. But I'm saying it's people in those positions of power that can affect change. And I know I want to see as much more of that positive change as we yeah. can. And anything um, anything I can do to facilitate that change, I'm going to do. Because, well, again, I don't believe in the I'm just one person mentality. One person can move mountains yeah. in terms of culture and you know mindset. Especially if you have the following and if you have the people to, to put in motion, you know. But it's, yeah. it's, it's great to see that... Um, that you've changed so much in, in one year, like it's almost one year after, and you can yeah. you can clearly see uh, a new Dan from my perspective. A few tattoos as well. A few tattoos, uh, like outside and inside. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now that's what they say. When you start working out, you start getting tattoos, and then yeah. Really? Oh shit! <laughs> cool. Well, um, yeah, I, I I wanted to to go over some things. Um, before we start off, like first, maybe it's it's important for the people who are listening because I might have some new listeners at the time <laughs> since a mm. year. Uh, who I haven't? Hope so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would have, I would hope so as well. But if they haven't heard about the um, the last podcast, can you tell the people what you do? Because um, I see you also started yeah. a new company on your Instagram called uh, oh, the absolutely. Good Fight Agency. Absolutely. absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I. For all intents and purposes, I'm split between three main things at this point in my life. Uh, I run Above Board Entertainment Group, which is a marketing agency focused on the music and entertainment sector. Mm -hmm. uh, we're currently mainly focusing on digital marketing and uh, streaming strategy alongside clients such as uh, Don Diablo, uh, YMU Group. Uh, been doing a lot of work with Dim Mark. We mm -hmm. were involved in the last T-Pain album, One Up. Cool. Uh, some stuff with Theophilus London last year as well. And at, at this stage, the roster is pretty much those artists, give or take. And I do a lot of work still with guys like uh, the guys and girls over at Spinning Records mm -hmm. and such. So that's one part of my life and a very fulfilling part because that's my, my first company. And, you know, it's it's been uh, 
a hell of a ride. I just really, really enjoyed it. Worked with some incredible artists, got to work with Rehab for two years, and I'd argue that was an incredibly prolific two years for myself and for Fadil. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zara Larson project, got to be involved in her album, So Good, which last time I checked was the second most streamed album by a female artist ever. Sick, yeah. Take that with Houston. And uh, otherwise, you know, just some fun projects as well, like relaunching Cisco's Thong Song, which was just Holy shit, that was a big one. Yes. I came on as a strategic international PR and uh, marketing for Warner Music on Mm -hmm. that one. And we just had so much fun with it. We, you know, working with a a guy on a remake of a song that I've been listening to since school discos, you know, (laughs) that was crazy. And so it's been, um, it's been fun. And we we're three years old now above one entertainment Mm -hmm. group. We keep it very small We're a three person team. Uh, and I love it that way because it remains boutique and I get to work very in depth with the clients. I do. Um, alongside that, I started boxing, very formally about a year and a half ago originally just started as a uh, thing to do to make sure i kept the weight off and Mm -hmm. i'm I'm a huge boxing fan as well that's probably the one thing other than the music industry and streaming and that that you can get me talking about for literally hours on end uh which is probably why most the music industry people stop following me on instagram because i think they were (laughs) bored tired of the shit yeah (laughs) what the fuck is he doing sing what are you talking about but yeah and so i'm now uh preparing to start fighting uh competitively at the beginning oh, of next wow. year which hmm. is great and I'm, uh, I'm doing that under the legendary fifth street gym over in miami who okay. uh, you know gave rise to little guys like muhammad ali and people like really? that so you know, i and working with them and getting you know, taught by guys like dino spencer and uh, coach guy over there has just been uh, one of the most humbling experiences I don't, I don't know those names but they probably are big names in the, in the industry you know what? They're, they're good at what they do. And uh, yeah. for some reason, they've wasted their time teaching me how to box. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm, I don't know why they must. I think I think I get away with a lot of stuff just from being a bit likable because mm. I'm sure as hell wasn't based on my boxing ability. <laughs> but no, so that's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, because of these two worlds coming together, I've been exposed to a lot of... Uh, great meetings and discussions with uh, with athletes and sports brands and lifestyle brands mm-hmm. and what i realized was i was having the same discussions in terms of what they needed and what they were looking for that i was having with all the clients when i was starting up above board entertainment group mm-hmm. it was the needs were so similar all that changed was the context and the platforms and you know the the final destination let's say so after a lot of uh, back and forth and uh, talking to a few people in America, I, I've stepped up to the uh, to the plate with a, a new agency, which uh, has been called The Good Fight, but we're currently actually working out what our two-market brand will be called because I'm not convinced that it's a good idea to have a company named our very famous legal drama that's currently on TV. Yeah. Uh, which I, I was unaware of when I named it, but you know, the, um, yeah, so we're launching coming to market in February. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say too much about who I'm going to be working with and sure. such, but it's, it's really exciting for me to be able to bring these two worlds together. And I, I am very passionate about the work we've started doing already with our clients over there. And the, you know, the idea of, uh, I spent a decade trying to empower 
artists that I admired, and now I get to spend a decade empowering athletes yeah. that I am equally, you know, in awe of. So yeah, I honestly I feel like I'm one of the luckiest people alive because somehow I keep getting given the opportunity to do stuff I love, and that's yeah. you can't take that for granted. You cannot take that for granted. Not many people get to say that, let alone twice in their lifetime. Hmm. Well, it's great. It's great, man. I actually believe that, um, like, I've been I've been thinking about it with the coaching as well. Like, top sport and um, artists are similar in a lot of ways. As most in, definitely, as in they have the same lifestyles. Uh, it's the same kind of branding. Well, I don't know about lifestyles. Yeah, man. well, not, not about food and stuff, wrong, but, but but more to, about to like. Some extent, I guess they're all brands, aren't they? Yep. And the different, you know, the you look at it in music, you have brands, and they're all competing to be, you know, supported and uh, shown on social media, and they're trying to distribute their music effectively through um, platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Flip that over to athletes; they're still brands. They're still using the same platforms, arguably to far less niche audiences, mm-hmm. and. Instead of the DSPs, you've got broadcasters and the people that are promoting their actual yeah. events and fights and things like that. So it's the ecosystem isn't that different. And I think the only thing I would say is that I've, from what I have seen so far, the sports side of things, they know their value and they, uh, they're kind of selling it. You know, they've been around. And I think as a result, there's less. Uh, no, I'm going to rephrase that. I think there's been more money in sports for longer. Yeah. I think, you know, it's certain, like, you know, dance music, let's face it, 10 years ago, there weren't that much money in it. <laughs> no. You know, and that Vegas thing wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Sports, and especially like combat sports, I would say, they're a bit more used to it. Mm-hmm. And so they, I don't think they've, uh, I don't think they've been broke as much as the music industry has. And that, yeah. I say that with the utmost respect. I think it just changes the dynamic yeah, exactly. when it comes to how you with people so so how do you help those clients and let's just take it over like top sport clients but also um artists like what what do you do for for them where do you start we start by asking them what the vision is and we start by working out where are we going Mm -hmm. what's the long term here and that could be as easy as someone turning around and saying we want our guy to be the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world Mm -hmm. for example Mm-hmm. Let's keep it interesting. All right. And then we say, okay. For great. example. <laughs> so for example, that. Yeah. so then we say, right, if that's the case, then what do we need to do to build the brand of the incoming heavy, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world? Mm-hmm. And there's so many components to this. It's everything from what does that brand feel like when the uh, audience finds it for the first time? And I think it's about navigating the journey through a very solid digital strategy, mm-hmm. for developing content that serves a purpose and fills a gap. I think it also comes from helping them build consistently around all the key digital platforms and alongside the partners that be there for them throughout the duration of their journey. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what you say because, you know, I know certainly the favorite DSPs, you know, are pretty much set in stone for now and that, but if you're not working with somebody long-term, then you're far less likely to have them invest in you long-term. 
And by the way, investment, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about time. Yep. I'm talking about tension. Mm-hmm. So that that's how the, the conversations start. Mm-hmm. And it can be, you know, a lot uh, more micro. It can be stuff like working out who the right brands that these people should be affiliated with, mm-hmm. what the crossover value is between said brand and said athlete, and then starting to negotiate ways in which those two facets can collaborate effectively mm-hmm. and such. And, and like I say, I'm, I'm so new in the sports side, I'm still getting my, you know, my bearing as to what is and isn't possible. But from the early discussions I've been having with the new roster, there's a, there's a lot of fun things to be done. Yeah, I can That's imagine. Fun. I mean, things that as a sports fan, I would look at. And as a boxing fan, I would look at and think, that's legit. That's real. And, and, and are you talking it, about content or? Yeah, content, yeah. brand partnerships, mm. things things that keep the audience engaged in between fights, things that get people gassed as they're going towards fights, things that attract people who may not have even known that they wanted to watch a guy fight. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And there is a lot of synergy there between bringing a new artist or a slight known artist to market as there is bringing an athlete to market differences, the context and the sport. And of course the niche facts, but you know what, that, that can all be learned. I'm learning. And so, so, and it's a very early days of that journey and I'm lucky. I've got a few people engaged who very much have their roots dipped in the, in the sports industry already. So I'm, uh, I'm not winging it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. One of, the things that, one of the things that I noticed as well, one big difference between top sport guys and uh, artists is the the age thing, you know? Like with most sports, age kind of is this thing because when you become too old, you're not valuable anymore. Your body becomes too old, you become too slow or whatever. Um, and you're just done in the industry. And Tell that's Mike Tyson, who's now... Yeah. Selling weed exactly. successfully. Yeah, he and leveraged it, he leveraged his attention up. to build something else, and that's incredible. But I I think now that's they're not talking about bringing Vladimir Klitschko out of retirement, who wants to wait another two years so he can be the oldest heavyweight champion of the world. And we're talking deals in excess of seventy-five million. Was it even seven? It was dumb numbers. You know yeah. what I mean? It was big numbers. Yeah. So the age thing. I, yeah, I but really I think, think I think you can win from that age thing once you build a brand from from yourself, because mm. Mike Tyson has become this brand. You know, he started to do movies, he started to do commercials. Like, he mm. he started to do more than just fighting. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, I think he's another. He's a good example of someone who came back from loss and yeah. came back from well, worse than loss. He went to prison for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And still came back as did Lennox Lewis as. I hope Anthony Joshua will on December the 7th. You know, there's a, there's a lot to be done. And I think it's about having this vision for legacy. Yeah. And le- legacy is a word I throw around so much now. I, it's, mm. it's almost been the buzzword since I started working with athletes. But legacy is important. And I wish more music clients thought about legacy. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, because because I- I'll tell you what, the mm. New Music Friday ads you got three Fridays ago, no one's talking about them this week and they sure as fuck won't be talking about them in 20 years. Nope. 
the, what is that one of the biggest difference you see like with artists not, artists not having a long-term plan 100 okay. 100 and it's very worrying because mm. i every, i've always been taught from my parents to when i was in university to pretty much everything i've done start with an end in mind Mm-hmm. You know, that that's just been at the, the basis of everything I've ever done. So when I start anything, I'm always thinking about what the best possible outcome would be. And that could be me picking up the Nobel Peace Prize in 30 <laughs> years. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, just yeah. saying there needs to be that long-term vision and that long-term aspiration. And then I think if you know where you're heading, it's a lot easier to be sort of nimble and on your feet as things go, because if you're going to have a long career, you're going to have to deal with change. Yep. Let's take music, for example. Guys that were very comfortable with the CD model and selling their things in HMV and negotiating to have their stuff at the front shelf and all that stuff, yeah. suddenly had their worlds turned upside down when iTunes came to town and MP3s became a thing. And suddenly they got rid of all the distribution costs and things like that. But they had to deal with a whole new system for getting their um, music scene. Yeah. And then off the back of that, we all know what happened with streaming. You know, the world keeps changing and it's no different in, um, yeah. in sports. Right now we have the uh, zone, for example, in America mm-hmm. who are really challenging the old pay-per-view model of uh, purchasing fights because mm-hmm. people in um, America could be spending up to $80 to watch a fight holy shit and here's the zone coming in offering all these sports and all the boxing and i believe ufc and things like that for 20 dollars a month like a subscription exactly like the netflix of sport and i'm pretty sure that's ruffled some feathers yeah. in uh tv land and good mm-hmm. you know what i mean because like i said earlier just because it's, it's been that way for a while doesn't mean it needs to stay that way yeah and, exactly. you know and we saw it we saw what happened with it in music and we saw you know it got it all got a little bit silly in music i think people people rush to uh you know master new things and new platforms when they come and maybe we ended up giving the streaming platforms a little bit too much power mm. somewhere along the line i i feel like that power shift is changing a little bit now though to where um i think but let me rephrase that. I'm having a lot of conversations with labels and managers and publishers and people like that. And there doesn't feel like there's that desperation to get Spotify's not of approval anymore. Yeah. What they what they still want to be on the platforms and they still want to work with the platforms. Yeah. They they still see the value in the platforms because of course, you know, of course there's value in those platforms. But they're also thinking about how to build their own audiences mm-hmm. and how to have a a way to communicate and push things to their audience that they own that yeah. they can control and and that's important because i don't think there's a sustainable future for people whose entire strategy is based on being put in spotify playlists no you're relying on one yeah you're, you're relying on one company if the, and if they decide to do it differently tomorrow you just have to deal with it. Um, well, absolutely. And you notice as well, I think a lot of people got a bit bent out of shape when Spotify started really putting emphasis on people submitting through their Spotify for artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, of course that was going to become the case. 
because how can you possibly keep up with the demand when you're a publicly listed company who's only got a certain amount of editorial resource because realistically, how much do they rely on editorial in the grand scheme of Spotify as a big company? Mm-hmm. And that, so, you know, and these poor people, I mean, they must be inundated, these editors. I, I honestly, I, I'm not saying I feel sorry for Spotify editors, but I understand why having that sort of role and being in that sort of position must be pretty damn overwhelming. Yeah. And you have these people who would do anything to try and secure your consistent support. Yeah. So, you know, the, the whole Spotify for artists thing, that was just inevitable. They were trying to save their staff more than anything. And, you know, it's uh, a lot of people suddenly panicked. And then I wonder, like, okay, if you're panicking now, what does that say about how you really feel about the quality of your product and the quality of your project? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If Again, too much, maybe. System. Yeah, I th- again, I think you need a healthy pinch of everything. You yep. should definitely not be shrugging at being put in official Spotify playlists. And that's great. And if you're getting every new music Friday in the world, that is, of course, going to yep. probably help make sure that everyone in the music industry mm-hmm. hits your record. Because I don't think anyone outside of the music industry listens to New Music Friday, personally. But And they have a lot of playlists that consumers do listen to. And a lot of new algorithmic playlists and things like that, which are just, it's all very positive. This is not in any way an attempt to trash talk Spotify mm-hmm. at all. But the projects I love working are the ones where I can go and look at the backend data and the bar, if we're talking percentages and stuff, the bar that is people of their own accord saving uh, music into their own playlists and stuff, if that's bigger than the editorial and the algorithmic ones, then we're winning. Yeah, you're good to go. It's, it's so good that we have Spotify on board and it's so good that these yeah. esteemed tastemakers are supporting it. But you know what? If they suddenly decide, you know what, let's cut all of our costs and get rid of all of our editors and just make the computers do it. I'm not saying that will happen, maybe. Could be. But then, hey, at least you've still got your fan base and the things that you've built to fall yeah. back on. So that all comes back again to having a strong brand, you know, like being in a position where you can drive your audience from, let's say, Instagram to another platform like Spotify and make them save the track into their own playlist. That's way more valuable than getting an editorial. I believe so. Yeah, I me too. Yeah. It's, um, and I think the, the artists that have been clever about leveraging how their audience uh, interacts with them within these apps, so, you know, urging them to follow them, having playlists of their own that people follow. and mm-hmm. do, that's, that's good because it shows that you're not relying on a helping hand from Spotify. Mm-hmm. You're actually bringing, and I think that only strengthens the conversations you have with Spotify as well. Because you say, look, we're not coming here begging you to support us. We're bringing our audience with us. Yeah. You can see that we're doing a good job of it. Doesn't that warrant some support? You know, on the flip side, I hope they don't do what Facebook did and say, oh, thank you for bringing all these people to our platform. Now you can pay us to fucking talk Start to Start paying, yeah, exactly. Start paying, cough up. And I mean, I, ho- I don't think they would. No. no Mind I- you, we said that. We said <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. <laughs> like, we're, now we're laughing, but maybe we're crying in two years. What could well, happen? They, do have, they, do, they are starting to roll out the sponsored placement stuff. And, 
you know, that's as long as it's obvious that it is advertorial, then you know, in the end, it's a company, you know, they make they they need to make money simply. It's a publicly listed company, yep, they need to make their numbers every year, every quarter, Uh, yeah, and that's something we have to take into consideration every time. But it's 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 so amazing for me to see that it almost really doesn't matter what you talk about in music land, it all comes back to that brand, like. If yeah. you manage to get a strong branch, you can seriously leverage anything you want. Uh, you you can get sponsor deals. You can get uh, you can get your people to sign up for your course. You can get people to sign up for this to to buy merchandise. It's all mm. that brand. No, absolutely. I think from the outset, whatever you're creating, whether you're a music artist, whether you're a company, whether you're a, a content provider. I always go by the, what would this look like if it was slapped on a t-shirt mentality? <laughs> there isn't a single good brand logo out there or brand that I think has stood the test of time that doesn't have that kind of uh, pull. Spotify is a great example. Their little green logo looks fucking great on a t-shirt. Yep. The Nike swoosh, that looks good on everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's the mm. brand. I'm not now we're just talking of course about the visible brand, but again, all of these things and brand is key. Yeah. And I think the people in this industry that have uh pushed the barriers, let's say, and kept on growing are the ones that have leveraged brand. Yeah. And they're usually the ones that get the most criticism for yeah. it. Exactly. And that's that's a whole different and, and can you, I'm, can I'm you ex- far too old and cynical to get too involved in that one. <laughs> can you explain a bit more about, um, because the word brand is, at least that's what I get a, a lot from my followers and from, from my yeah. clients as well. Like you, you keep saying brand, but what does it yeah. really mean and how do I, I, think, I get it? It's so yeah, vague. Okay, so brand, brand is a concoction to me anyway. And this is just my, and uh, keep in mind, I am of the school of, uh, I started doing this and that's my qualification. You know what I mean? I didn't, I studied fucking journalism in English about 10, 11, 12 years ago. So this has been something that I've just been lucky enough to grow with and learn on the, on the run, let's say, um, to me, brand is that beautiful combo of image community mm-hmm. and experience and how those three things tied together mm-hmm. because it's the touch points. What does the brand or what do you, what do you look like? What is the visible experience of this? Mm-hmm. So for example, marshmallow, it's that comic book appeal. It's the head. Yep. It's the, uh, you know, the anonymous, we don't know. I, I mean, I'm guessing it's a dude, right? But we, you know, no one said, <laughs> no one's really expressly said that. So it's that, it's the visibility, it's the, and this is where I was talking a bit about the t-shirt mentality. Yeah. The, can we slap there? Then you've got the experience. So what is the experience of that particular artist? Now let's look at, let's keep it dance music for the sake of this audience. Eric Pritz, his mm-hmm. epic shows. That's the experience. That is the thing that people queue up down the road in Ibiza and go to Madison Square Garden and all of that stuff to experience. It's You know that when you go see Eric Prids, you're going to see more fucking laser beams than 20 years of playing laser tag with your friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is going to be a complete 
you know, a fireworks display of light, pretty mm-hmm. much, right? That's the experience. And then the community, how you as a brand and your product comes together and is experienced by people simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I think the best examples of community are where an artist comes to embody a lifestyle, a lifestyle choice. And Drake and the OVO brand, I think, are the best example of this. Because when you say Drake and you say OVO, you know how those people are dressing. You know know what they look like. You know what their social circle looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's because Drake, while he has had his moments of doing Latin music, his little crossover to helping out the UK scene and bringing Top Boy back and all that good stuff, they have, over a long period of time, more than a decade, made OVO not only a kind of a sound and a music collective, but also like a community lifestyle that people subscribe to and people want to be a part of. Yeah, because they, that, they can relate to it. Exactly. And mm. that is, I think, the three components yeah. that really harness brand mm. as we're talking about it. And then, of course... The idea of all of that is that it strengthens people's desire to consume you as a product or the product that you're providing. Mm-hmm. And then I think as well, those things come together to demonstrate value. And so instead of it just being like a buy-sell mm-hmm. kind of dynamic, through the brand, you're providing value that makes consumption of you as a product or an artist second nature. They don't even have to think about it. That's my interpretation of it. And I'm sure there are many scholars who will tell you that, oh, well, actually, you know, here's some scientific jargon from 20 fucking years ago that every kid with 20 million YouTube subscribers doesn't know about. Yeah. I think that's the beauty, I think, of brand and I think of marketing generally as well. And people like Gary Vee have made this point several times over and far more eloquently. But, yeah, you can go to school and learn how – the textbooks do it and think about it or you can just go and start looking at the world around you yeah. and learn it on your feet because marketing has changed so much. Change every day because of the platform. It changed every day. Well. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what keeps it exciting. Yeah. That is what keeps it very, very exciting. Can I be an absolute pain and can we pause very quickly while I quickly run to the bathroom? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, can you hear yes. me? Yes. There he is. Well, hey, sorry about that. No worries. So drank too much water. <laughs> I can relate to that as well. Um, but regarding the branding thing, like it, it keeps amazing me what um, I, th- I think people really underestimate how long it could take before you actually manage to build some kind of brand. You know, like like you mentioned, it requires time as well, experience. And that's well, not good brands have values. I think the the best brands in the world have values or mm-hmm. things that people gravitate towards or recognize in them. And values for me are perpetuated by consistency. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep turning up with those values and you have to keep demonstrating them for them to really, really stick. Mm-hmm. And, and that takes time. And I guess one of the challenges that music has is that it has phases and it has genres that come in and out of um you know the the spotlight which accordingly can make building values long term a challenge especially if you're one of those artists who is chasing the buzz sounds and and i think 
I think electronic music is very guilty of this in terms of I look at all the artists who were making who very were very comfortably making good quality club music and called big room house whatever you know whatever you want to call it who then as soon as people such as Avicii or the Chainsmokers or Steve Aoki or we could list so many people I just chose to list the ones I've worked with but uh, <laughs> what but a coincidence people, yeah what yeah <laughs> but you know all of those people start making mainstream pop records mm-hmm. and they start sticking and then you saw all of these people start trying to do the same thing now they've spent a few years prior to that or longer building up a very uh what's the word committed crowd who associated the experience of being into that artist with this big room house music and going to these club shows and hearing that music. Mm-hmm. So suddenly your guys turn around and they're making pop records. Like, well, hold on. I didn't sign up for this. Exactly. And by the way, if I'm going to listen to pop music, I'm probably going to listen to Justin Bieber and the top 40 stuff that's being played on repeat everywhere. Mm. So then you go, Oh God, my following has dipped and people aren't consuming my records, which is strange because they sound like the ones that the famous people are making and such. And then you try going back after that. You know what I mean? Because once the ticket sales have dried up and the promoters are worried that you're not going to be good for it anymore, you've got to almost hit restart. And I saw a lot of artists do that. And yet to be honest, it was mainly European artists. Hmm. Um, I've seen it happening a lot as well. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe there was, maybe the monetary value of doing that behind the scenes was enough that those people are listening to this, like, what the fuck do you know? And you know what? I'll take that. Yeah. I'm not all seeing or knowing. But I saw a lot of people very, very demonstratively, desperately trying to climb back into that, you know, club centric market. And struggling second time around yeah. because their core audience had either lost interest or grown up and didn't want to yeah. didn't want to do that. Didn't want to go and listen to that music in the clubs anymore. Yeah, you know, got they settled so, down. <laughs> yeah, but going back to the original point, I think it's it's about that long term yeah. value proposition and working out right. What's the journey? How does the audience take that with us? How do we engage them? across this life cycle of how we want to grow the project. Mm-hmm. How do we introduce new fans into that along the way? Because you need to top up your fan base. And so it's, uh, there's no one size fits all no. method of doing that. But overall, like if, if I have a look back at my career, for instance, every short term decision that I made damaged my career. Me too. Every short term decision, like it's, it's the long term decisions that brought value over time, of course, maybe not in the beginning, but over time. It's a game of patience, honest to God. A year and a half ago, I worked out properly for the first time in about a year and a half, two years. 15 minutes into that workout, I had to run to the bathroom and vomit very violently. I was not well. Right then, I had a final decision to make. Am I going to turn up again tomorrow and try this again, or am I going to quit? Because you know what would have happened if I'd quit? I'd still be severely overweight and very unhealthy and yeah. not working towards a sustainable level of health. But you turn up 
and you turn up the day after that and you turn up the day after that and suddenly you're surrounded by peers who recognize that you are now part of their world and their life and you know from that first boxing session where you go sparring and get 10 shades of shit beaten out of you to a year later where you've just ducked out of sounds of heavy sparring and everyone in the gym's patting you on the back saying way well way to go like that's that's how i try to yeah you know make people understand the difference between short-term thinking and short-term decisions and that long-term thing yeah and everything good that's happened in my life personally and i'm just talking about me now very selfishly but everything good that's happened has come from some form of commitment to a longer term vision. That's everything from my personal health, my mental health, my career, Hmm. everything. At one point I sat down and said, right, where am I going with this? And that's what's been exciting for me about stepping into the new agency and into a whole new industry. I got to do that all over again. I thought to myself, where do I want to be in a decade? Where do I want my insert anonymous athlete label here to be in a decade. And and I don't know about other people, but those are the things that get me really fucking excited. That's, that's the shit that keeps me the good kind of awake at night. You know, you're not worried. Excited awake. Yeah, exactly. And it's so nice when those things come along. So nice when those things come along. Well, I think this, this is a great way to end the conversation. You know, like I, I, I totally agree with your point. I totally agree with um, the long-term thing, and I've noticed it myself as well. Once I've started changing things in my life, um, yeah. working more smart, exactly. Like, I only work four days a week. Like, people think I work like crazy, but I work four days a week. Um, yeah. I have one day off with my with my baby. I have the weekends off with my girl. It's It's a different life, but still, I managed to run two companies, so... It's well, absolutely. But also, what you're doing to to wrap it up, I think what you're doing with this channel and what is exactly what other people need to be doing in terms of looking at content as a value provider, yeah. not looking at content as an ego stroker. Mm. And this is where I think electronic music got so wrong, got it so wrong rather, because they focused on these flashy after movies and it was all about them and it was all about the walking off stage and the bottle and stuff and you know what nowadays and now where we are that that doesn't matter no that doesn't matter and that sort of content doesn't serve anyone but them and maybe it looks good when you're doing some generic social media posting video bullshit i don't know but content needs to be a value provider. And I think people like you, like Damien Keyes, like Adam Ivey, and I guess like Todd McCarthy, people like yourselves are helping people. Hmm. And that is so important. And it doesn't need to be a sort of holier than thou. I am helping. I'm so helpful kind of thing. It just needs to be done consistently. And well, you know, the last time we had this conversation was a year ago, so that says it all. <laughs> and it only got worse, man. I've been I've been creating content like a crazy guy. But yeah. yeah, I see I see you putting the work in, man, and, and God bless you for doing it. And I uh, you know, if, if anyone was gonna take one thing away from this today from me, it would be 
just start today. If you don't already like create content, tuck yourself away and think how as my, as me with my personality and with my brand and with my knowledge, how can I create value for the people that I call my audience? Exactly. And I tell you what, you're going to come away with some amazing content eventually. Maybe the first few will be shit. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're going to have to trial and error. Trial and error there, exactly. You're going to get there and it's going to be fulfilling. It's going to be very fulfilling. Great, man. Well, thanks again for taking the time to do this. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, Always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. Yeah, we'll stay in touch and maybe I'll see you in a year from now. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I hope I don't lose much more weight. <laughs> <laughs> like you've, you've been like the champion of the, of the fighting. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll have a a black eye. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Have a good day, man. Thanks. Thank you, brother. Bye.